If you got your Bibles, open to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, and then we're also going to look at Romans 12, Nehemiah 8, and Philippians 3. And so just, uh, that'll all be on the screens for you, uh, but just wanted you to have a heads up on where we're headed there. Um, first of all, 1 Kings chapter 19 is a chapter that is rarely preached, okay, uh, because it's the aftermath of the amazing miracle uh, that has taken place in 1 Kings chapter 18 that we read about about the last three weeks, and uh, uh, and then you have this situation where there's, there's the aftermath of a great miracle that's taken place, one of the greatest miracles in the history of the Old Testament, and it's taken place in a country where what we're going to find is they did not turn back to God for good, even though they saw God move in dramatic fashion, even though it was a once-in-a-generation miracle that they'd experienced, once-in-a-multiple-generation miracle that they'd experienced, they still did not turn back. And Elijah goes through a period of depression afterwards. Uh, he thought the world was going to be one way, and it turned out that it was another. This might be one of the most practical messages that you will ever hear from me. And so I want to encourage you, take notes today. This is a really good message to listen to, really good to, uh, teaching to hold to if you are somebody who is in a funk right now. All right, so here it is. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 1. It starts with this question. Have you ever wanted to give up before? Have you ever wanted to give up before? Some of you might say, that is me to a T right now. Others of you might be able to look back on a time when you just had those feelings of just going, man, it's just so difficult, the life that's in front of me. I feel like there's a mountain that's so high, a journey that's so long. I just don't know if I can go on anymore. I just don't know if I can move forward. I can tell you on a lower level, I felt that back in the day in athletics. You ever have to go play a second half of a football game or a baseball game or softball, volleyball, whatever, and it was like, we are losing so badly, I did not even want to come out of the tunnel at halftime. Uh, we were playing a team, Friendship High School. Now, Lubbock, High School, or Lubbock, uh, Lubbock Monterey High School that I went to uh, was what we called back then a 5A school. That was the biggest group uh, of, uh, that was the biggest group for Texas high schools, and uh, we had gotten a brand new coach my senior year. We were learning a new offense. They would end up being really good two years later, but my senior year, I mean, we just bottomed out as far as the record went. We would finish that season two and eight, and really, the uh, uh, one of the low points, there were several, one of the low points was when we played against Friendship High School because they were a 4A school. Now, the problem is we were at the bottom of 5A, and they were at the top of 4A, but we were all together in the same town. This was the rich suburb group on the outside. I was more the center of town, and this was kind of the rich suburban group on the outside. Side, friendship was, but they were the small school. We were the big school, so we were supposed to win this one. And at halftime, we were losing 27 to zero. The only thing we had done right in the first half was block an extra point, and honestly, that was probably more on the kicker than it was good on us. We're down 27 to zero. Uh, again, at this point, I think our team was one and six. I mean, we were really, really bad at this point. And I remember we were getting better, but this game, it was just so bad. And uh, we were all humiliated. And at halftime, Coach Morton, our head coach, walks in, and here was the halftime speech. He goes, men, I don't know what to say to you. He goes, honestly, 
honestly, I wish that I hadn't moved here. That was what he said at halftime. Now, just for the record, all of a sudden, that was it. Usually, he'd give us these big, you know, Newt Rockney, Vince Lombardi coaches speeches. But he goes, man, I'm, I'm just really sorry I moved here. He goes, and he, he was I mean, it's just a crazy story. His wife had died of a brain aneurysm. He's raising a young daughter by himself. And then all of a sudden, he just goes, yep, I'm really sorry I moved here. And he just walks out. Now, I know now that was a coach's ploy. But I'm telling you, that was about as low as I've ever felt in my entire life. I'm just sitting there going, oh, my gosh, we just let this guy down, you know. He moved his family here. And then my position coach, Coach Martinez, he was the head of our defense, the defensive coordinator. Coach Martinez walks to the group, and he goes, guys, I don't know what to tell you either. Uh, I just took a huge loss on my house to move here. And, uh, I mean, again, we're high school students, and he's putting this on us. And so he goes, I, I just don't know what to say to you. Good luck the second half. And so he walks out, and it's just the team left there. And I remember in that moment, the thought had been, I'm done. I'm done. Can't move any forward. I'm done. This is awful. And then all of a sudden, when they walked out, it was like, you know, it's really not so bad. I mean, you know, it, surely we can at least try in the second half. And then the unthinkable happened. We scored four touchdowns in a row and went up 28 to 27. Of the time of my athletic career, when I truly felt in the zone, that second half of that game where it seemed like all hope was lost, all of a sudden, we go up 28 to 27. Now, the saddest part about that is in the last seconds of the game, their kicker kicked a field goal and we lost 30 to 28. That's a true story. Anyway, you can go look that up. Moving up. Not that any of you would want to look up Monterey High School stats from a two and eight year back in 1998. All right. Anyway, moving on. Um, have you ever wanted to give up? Some of you, again, it's football is the one thing. You know, I wish I'd never moved here again. I'm done. I'm finished. It's different when it's a job situation and you sit there and you go, I am having to get out of bed and go to work at a situation that feels like it is never going to get better and I just want to give up. Some of you feel that way in a relationship that's very, very important to you. Friendship, marriage, or dating. I just, I can't, I can't keep doing this anymore. I just want to give up. For some of you, it's a health battle. For some of you, it's a sin battle. Something that you fight against over and over again. But it just seems like the struggles of addiction, struggles of poor decision making, you just sit there and you just want to give up. Sometimes it's just generally doing the right thing. And you just go, Lord, how much longer am I going to have to deal with this? Just so you know, Elijah felt the same way. One of the greatest believers in Yahweh ever to live felt the exact same way. Look at what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19. And now let's look at verses 1 through 4. You got to remember, this is right on the heels of Elijah performing this amazing miracle, calling down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. He's experienced God in such a powerful way, and he's been the conduit that the Lord has used to bring the message. Not only that, but remember, he's done the trial for the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. He's executed them for their crimes against humanity, their crimes that they've done of murder, for genocide. He's done all this. He's walked it through. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 19, he's back in Jezreel. 
He's at the capital. He's with King Ahab, who has a Jewish heritage, but he's married to a woman named Jezebel. It was a political marriage. She did not believe in their God. And because of that, Jezebel stands up and says, whoa, 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 this is a two-party country. Yahweh isn't the only one in charge here. There's also a whole other country that I represent uh, that needs to be a, uh, that needs to come in uh, in this circumstance and to be heard. Now look at verse uh, chapter 19, verse 1. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. Remember, this wasn't murder. This was execution because they, they had a trial and an execution because of what the prophets of Baal had done and the genocide that they had performed. Verse 2, it says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now stop right there for just a minute. Do her gods exist? No, they do not. And because of what Elijah experienced on Mount Carmel, the entire country knows that as well. But what Jezebel is saying here is I'm chasing after you and I'm going to find a way to kill you and I'm swearing by the biggest thing that I could possibly swear by. I'm going to kill you because if I can kill you, then maybe this movement will all fall apart. But don't miss this. For Elijah, he thought the revival will come in the massive, beautiful, miracle moment. And all the sudden the depression sets in for him because he goes, I can't do any more than this. I've put the spotlight on Yahweh as best I can. I've put the spotlight on scripture as best I can. And then all of a sudden he sits there and goes, what is happening here? What's taking place? Jezebel's saying she wants to kill me. The government's against me. I won on Yahweh's behalf on Mount Carmel. So look at what happens. Elijah then gets scared. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and he he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, underline Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I'm done. I've had enough. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Stop there for just a minute. He had experienced the mountaintop just days before, but it didn't turn out the way that he thought it was going to turn out. Can I tell you, revival rarely does. The older I get, the more revival changes for me. I think I used to picture that revival was a big Billy Graham crusade. That is a version of it but it is not the only version of it. Revival takes place in the heart of each individual. Even though they'd experienced the great conference on Mount Carmel, even though they'd experienced the miracle of Almighty God, there was still a lot of work that needed to be done. And Elijah, seeing that he still will be on the run for the rest of his life, that he still, his journey, is going to be one marked by difficulty. Elijah runs from Jezreel to Beersheba. Write this down in the flap of your Bible. That's 70 miles. 70 miles. Because Jezebel has said, by this time tomorrow, may the gods deal with me if I haven't killed you. Scholars are in debate. It is possible he ran 70 miles in a day. 
that he was that scared that he ran more than two marathons, more than a double marathon, because he was that afraid. There's another school of thought that's also very interesting, that maybe the journey was multiple days, and that even during the journey, God has reminded him, she has no power that I don't allow her to have over you. However it works, Elijah runs, Elijah falls down under the broom tree, and Elijah says, I'm done. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He gets low. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Are you ready? Always measure threats against the truth to keep from over or underreacting. Let me say that again. Always measure threats against the truth to keep from over or under reacting. What Elijah has done here is he has overreacted just a little bit. To run 70 miles and then to come to a point where he turns his servant loose, the one who's helping him and has been with him through the miracle, for him to turn the servant loose and then travel one extra mile off into the sunset, basically, to where he finds in the middle of the desert this broom tree, a spot of shade where he basically has said, I'm going to sit under this tree, and Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. There's nothing else I can do. There's no good that can ever happen from this point. The nation's never going to turn from you at that point and return to you at that point at that point he has hit a stretch of incredible overreaction now before you judge him we all do the exact same thing don't we something will happen and that one thing seems like because that's happened everything's falling apart the whole world is coming to an end life as i knew it is gone can i just tell you that is a little bit dramatic And in the case with Elijah, we get to see that God is about to bring some very good things for him. I've seen posted on Facebook, on Twitter, on different stuff, websites, I'm done in reference to 2020 so many times. Now, can I tell you a little secret? You're not done. You're still here, okay? If you are looking at me in this room or looking at me on the video, you are still here. Can I tell you a secret? You don't get to decide when you're done. Some of you needed to hear that today. You don't get to decide when you're done. The Lord is the one guiding the ship. And if it gets bad enough, he will get you out of here. It's the way that scripture works. So while it is day, we should work because it says in Scripture, night is coming when no one can work. It begs our big million dollar question then today. How does God restore a warrior who wants to give up? There are many of you in this room that I consider to be strong, godly, spiritual warriors. How does God restore a warrior who wants to give up? It's the same way that he's about to restore Elijah. I wish that it could be more spiritually deep. This is a very, very practical message. The awesome truths of God are not meant to be so deep that you couldn't grasp them. All right, are you ready for this? Let's jump in now and read verse 5, just the first uh, sentence in verse 5. 
Here's what it says. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now verse five. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Please circle, highlight, and underline that he fell asleep under the tree. Just for the record, how does God restore a warrior who wants to give up? Number one, first and foremost, is rest. Rest is how he restores the warrior. Not just rest, but specifically sleep. There are some of you in this room who I'm telling you, you get trapped in the phone tunnel or you get trapped in the TV tunnel or you get trapped in the news tunnel. And here's what happens. The very best thing that you can do for your psychological state and your spiritual state is to go to sleep. Go to bed. If you get rest, you will wake up with a fresh mind, and I'm telling you, it's biblical. Get some rest, get some sleep, and then the world all of a sudden begins to come into focus again. I know it sounds like it's too simple, but the truth is present in this idea. Elijah has this low point. He's run 70 miles, either in one day or in multiple days, and he plops down under the tree. He tells God some things that he probably should shouldn't have said, and then all of a sudden he falls into a deep heaven-sent sleep. If you're taking notes, the easiest way to halt a toddler's tantrum is with a nap. Hit the reset button, okay? The easiest way to halt a toddler's tantrum is with a nap. Hit the reset button. So our son Zeke, three and a half years old, He's our kid that doesn't want to nap, but he needs a nap, all right? In fact, there's a passage of scripture in Genesis where it's talking about, I believe it's Ishmael, and uh, this angel comes in, speaks to his mother, and says, your son is going to be a wild ass of a man. I mean, that is literal scripture. That's what it says, that he's going to be a wild ass of a man. The idea is that he's going to live this life that's crazy. He's going to live this life where, where, again, he just is hard to tame, all right? And again, just like a kicking donkey, I mean, that's just how he lives lives. All that to say, that is my son Zeke, okay? Again, he's, he is in that same spirit. He's so much fun. He's high energy. He's me, I'm afraid. I'm getting to raise myself in some ways uh, with Zeke. So this is funny. So we've been watching Peppa Pig with him. Any of you Peppa Pig fans? All right. Anybody know what Peppa Pig is? There's a few of you, okay? So it's this British cartoon, okay? And uh, Peppa Pig is the main character, but there's a really heavy British accent in this. And so I don't know why Zeke doesn't always speak with a British accent, but thanks to Peppa Pig, there was a nap episode of Peppa Pig. And so anytime we try to put him down for a nap, he goes, no, I don't want to go to bed. And now he says it in this, this really thick British accent. And it, it's awful because you want to laugh and you can't laugh. You got to stay stone faced, right? And Autumn is terrible. I, I can be a little bit more stone faced with him, you know, but she just adores him. And so it just is that smile. He's got a great smile to it's going to get him in trouble moving on if we don't discipline it out of him now it's all that to say he just thrashes he gets so angry he does not want to take a nap and so again in that British no I don't want to nap daddy no I don't want to nap and I'm telling you you just sit there and finally it's like son you're taking a nap no 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 and the second you lay his head on the pillow he falls asleep and then he wakes up and is the happiest kid ever right but I'm telling you there's just something about rest that we fight. Can I tell you this too? The reason I'm using my son as an example here, I'll be honest with you, I'm not good at this. The staff will tell you. I'm not good at rest. It is a constant battle. It is a constant struggle. 
There are a lot of us in this city that struggle, not necessarily to go to sleep, but to slow down enough that it allows the Lord to restore you. Now, just for the record, it's not just about your body. It's about your mind, and it's about your spirit. The Lord wants you firing on all cylinders, and you can't do that if your body, if your mind, and your soul are run into the ground by work. So much so that the Lord tells us one day in seven, we are to give to him, and we are to rest. Hit the reset button. The easiest way to halt that toddler's tantrum is with a nap. Now save your spot there in uh, 1 Kings 19 and flip over to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, some of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. Paul writes it this way. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. Write down, hit the reset button by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what the Lord's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. That verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2, those verses are very powerful when it comes to rest. The overarching theme is, if you are saying as a disciple, God, my whole being belongs to you, that includes your body. That includes you allowing him to hit the reset button in your mind, the reset button in your heart, the reset button in your muscles, so that then after rest, you will be able to what? Test and approve what his will is. Not only hear from God, but you will also be able to make the right decision to choose his will over your own. But rest is the key. It begs the question, is it time to hit the reset button? Is it time to hit the reset button? COVID has messed with me because just because you're home doesn't mean you're resting. And it messed with me. It used to be that kind of the way I lived, when I was out, I was out having fun, again, working. And then when I would dip down into my lower energy units, I'd go home, and home meant rest. But that's not really the case for just about any of us anymore. There's this weird blend. I want to encourage you, find a way to rest. In Elijah's case, he got so low emotionally and spiritually that the great miracle work of the Old Testament says, God, take my life. I'm done. I could not possibly go another step. Just take my life right here under this tree because of a threat that may not even be real anymore. Let's keep looking at what happens next. Now look at 1 Kings 19, 5 and 6. I promise you it's not going to be complicated. You ready for this? Verse 5. It says, then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him. Underline, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Underline and highlight, get up and eat. 
And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, underlined in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and look at this. And then what did he do? He went back to sleep again. He lay down, and he fell asleep one more time. Stop right there for just a minute. In this passage, what we find out is not only did he go to sleep, but then an angel of the Lord, one of the few moments in history where a physical angel was seen in front of him, touches him and says, get up. And by the way, there's some fresh food for you right here. Remember, he's a mile into the desert in the middle of nowhere under a random tree. And then all of a sudden when he wakes up, it says that there is fresh bread over a hot bed of coals. The picture there is it's possible that the angel has been the one. He's literally eating angel food right there. It's right there in front of him, cooked by the heavenly host themselves, or that the heavenly host has stirred someone to walk out there and to cook for him, that he was in such a deep sleep that he was so exhausted that he didn't even notice somebody building a fire and setting up a massive meal right there next to him. However it works out, what we find in this circumstance is the command of the angel is get up and what? And eat. Now this verse I can tell you stories about, all right? I love food. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does God restore a warrior who wants to give up? Number one is rest, specifically sleep. And number two is food. In between resting. Food, specifically, in between resting. There are some of you that when you get in the darkness, that the main, or that, uh, that just any, just the overload that we get into our mind of everything that's taking place around us, sometimes you just need to eat something. You just need to put some sustenance, some good stuff, not alcohol, but good stuff into your system so that then you're not hangry, so that then you're not whatever the combination word is for hungry and depressed. Just eat something. My granddad, great guy, um, he was a high school principal for more than 20 years. At the high school that I went to, I didn't get to have him as my principal. My dad did, and, uh, and so did my, uh, uh, my two aunts. But uh, my, my granddad, very special. Every time you left him, he was from a little bitty town in Texas called Blue Ridge uh, in uh, Texas, kind of by McKinney, by the McKinney area. And my granddad used to always say, every time you'd see him, he would look at you and go, now listen, you be careful. If you get tired, pull over. If you get hungry, eat something. Those are the three things he would say to you every time he saw you. If you get tired, pull over. Or he would say, be careful. If you get tired, pull over. If you get hungry, eat something. And we always kind of joked about it. I was like, of course if we get hungry, we're going to eat something. It was weird writing the message this week and being like, granddad took it straight from 1 Kings 19, right? Again, be careful. If you get tired, pull over. If you get hungry, eat something. Even my granddad understood when you get tired, you make poor decisions and you need rest. And then when you get hungry, when you get hungry, there is a chemical imbalance, not just in your physical body, but there is also an imbalance in your spirit because you've allowed things to get out of whack. That schedule is off. 
And when that happens, we end up making harsh decisions and mistakes. You ever gone shopping while you were hungry at the grocery store? That is a terrible idea, and it will cost you a whole lot more money than if you went when you had eaten on a regular schedule. Any of you agree with that statement? Makes sense? I'm telling you, when your body is not taken care of, when, again, you're not nourished properly, then guess what? It throws everything else out of whack, and you don't think the right way. If you're taking notes, write this down. Do not underestimate the spiritual value of a well-timed meal. Let me say that again. Do not underestimate the spiritual value of a well-timed meal. I was talking with a dear friend this week, and that friend said there's kind of a growing trend in Christianity that encourages us to punish ourselves whenever we sin. Can I tell you a little secret? Christ died on the cross so you don't have to do that. You realize that, don't you? He took our place. It doesn't mean that you don't need to work through things. Guilt is actually a gift from God to let us know that something is wrong, that we need to work through it. But you don't have to sit in it. You don't have to dwell in it. Christ's shed blood covers our sin. You don't need to sit in hunger of spirit or in hunger of body because you feel like you deserve it for the bad things that you have done. Christ's shed blood covers it. Don't underestimate the value of a well-timed meal. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, you don't have to flip there, but in 1 Samuel chapter 14, you get a circumstance where Saul, the king in Israel, says to the men, look, we're after the Philistines. They've taken things that are ours. And then he makes this statement, let no one eat, a, uh, eat an ounce of food until I have avenged myself on my enemies. And then all of a sudden, the men all take an oath and they go off to battle. The problem is it takes multiple days for this battle to take place. So as they're going, they've made this oath that they won't eat anything. And because of that, they're weak. Well, Jonathan, the king's son, was not with the men when they took that oath. And as they're traveling through the woods, all of a sudden, Jonathan sees honey on the ground. He scoops it up. He eats the honey. And it says in scripture that immediately his eyes were brightened. He's filled with this sustenance. And now he's got the sugar rush to be able to go after even further this group of Philistines that have caused them all this trouble and all of a sudden the men look at him and they go uh jonathan what are you doing eating the honey bro he goes what are you talking about it's a gift from god right here we got calories sugar rush so that we can go and win this battle and they go uh your dad made us take an oath that we wouldn't eat anything until we avenged his enemies and it says jonathan says after that my father has truly troubled the land this day eat something if you're feeling one of those moments where you get low, put some gas in the tank. Again, it sounds so simple, but for some of you, the darkness that you live in, a good nap and some decent food, a decent meal, could actually save you from making some really awful decisions. It's all over scripture. 
Save your spot there in 1 Kings and now flip over to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. This happens again. Some of you might say, are you sure that's not an isolated incident? No, eating something is what happens after a big spiritual moment. In Nehemiah chapter 8, they've just rebuilt the wall and Ezra the prophet is standing up on behalf of Nehemiah and the, and the group that have rebuilt the wall and he reads the law to the people to let them know that they are turning their hearts back to the Lord. Now look at verse 8. It says they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving it meaning so that people could understand what was being read. Now stop there for just a minute. Making it clear and giving it meaning is the same thing that I try to do for you on Sunday morning. So this is like a massive conference where they're reading and doing Bible study on the entire book of the law. Look at verse 9. It says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites were instructing the people, said to them all, This is a sacred day to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep. Look at this. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. It's been so emotional. It's been so trying. They've been through so much that as the people hear the words of Almighty God through Ezra, through these Levites, through Nehemiah, they've watched the Lord rebuild this wall that they never thought would come up around the city again. And as they're hearing the word of God, they're weeping because it's so emotional. Revival is taking place in their hearts. But now look at what happens in verse 10. So Nehemiah said to them, go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Underline, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. Look at this. For the joy of the Lord is your what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. He says now that the Lord has done this work in our heart. He's done this work around our city. Now for you to be able to move forward, get something in your system because there's a journey ahead of us that we need to take towards Almighty God. Get some rest and eat something. Have a decent meal. It begs the question, are you trying to drive on an empty tank? Are you trying to drive on an empty tank? If you try to drive on an empty tank, the car was never going to start. Can I tell you what happens to me? I am go, 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 go. And then there are times when I run out of juice and then all of a sudden, I just can't move. It's like I want to. And my brain is telling my legs to get up. And my brain is telling my body I need to get moving. But I just can't. There's work to do. There's responsibility to take care of. But I just can't seem to move. If that's you, I want to encourage you. Eat something. Get some rest, and then eat something. And I love that he says here, for a special day, choice food and sweet drink. He said, get something good in your system. You'll be glad that you did. Now I gotta stand up. You ready? Oh, here we go. Last set of verses, and we'll close today. Look at 1 Kings 19, verses 7 through 9. It says, then the angel of the Lord came back a second time. This was so important that an angel of the Lord visited him twice. Then the angel of the Lord came back and visited him a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. Underline, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up 
He ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, underline strengthened by that food. That lets you know that the Lord had a purpose in giving it to him. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I love this part in verse 9. It says, there he went into a cave and what? He spent the night. Now, can I tell you that what's interesting there? The angel has come up. He's in depression. And the angel has come up and said to him, get some rest and then get up and eat. After sleeping, after eating something, the angel says, now you know what to do. Get up, eat again. And then he says, because there is a big journey ahead of you. There is still 40 days and 40 nights of work for you to do. And what happens at the end of his journey? He finds a place to go to sleep. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does God restore a warrior who wants to give up? Number one is rest. Number two is food. And number three is renewed purpose. Renewed purpose. For those of you in this room like me that love to work, if you were sitting there the whole time going, when's the preacher going to get back to work? When's he going to get back to us doing what we're supposed to do again? It's at the end of the passage, but don't miss this. Surrounding the work is the flow of rest and eat. Do you catch that? Rest, eat, work. Rest, eat, work. In fact, the beginning of it is rest, eat, rest, eat, work, rest. It's a beautiful thing to remember. We've got to get in the right flow so that then we can have longevity in our ministry so that we can have longevity in the work that God has created us to do. Renewed purpose. It says specifically that he is headed towards the mountain of God. We're going to find in the passage that we study next week, he's going to the mountain of God because he wants to hear what his next instructions are for the next phase of this journey. One last story and I'll close it today. Renewed purpose. Renewed purpose sometimes happens for us when we've dipped into grief, when we've dipped into depression. Renewed purpose is something where we have to release the old way and embrace something new that God has for us. One of the times that I've been most proud of my mother happened in the midst of the grief of the death of my father. When we were here and dad prayed at Congress two weeks before he died, on the first floor of the Marriott Hotel that we still do our meetings in on the second floor, on the first floor of that hotel, we hired a photographer and the photographer took what would end up being our very last family photos. One of those photos was my sister and her husband, me and Autumn and our kids, my brother, his wife, and their son at that point, and then my mom and dad in the middle. It was the only time in my family's history that a picture like that was taken where we were all together with our extended immediate family. And the picture, I don't know how she got it. It was perfect. It just captured every one of us. And my mom had that picture made right before my dad died and blown up big. And she hung it where she could lay in bed and she could stare at it. Now listen to me. 
I'm so proud of my mom for this. It actually became a stumbling block because it was right there at the foot of her bed. She would lay in bed and be dealing with the grief of the death of her husband and she would have trouble getting out of bed because she would just stare at that picture and it was such a vivid reminder of the past but also of the future that could have been and she would just stay there and struggle to get out of bed. My sister called me and she said, you know, I'm worried about mom. And then she goes, she's got this picture. And after the discussion with her, I began to pray that my mom would take the picture down so that she could move forward. And you know what? In time, one of my most proud moments for my mother, she took the picture down. And now in two weeks, she's getting married. Some of you may know that, some of you may not have. She's getting married in two weeks. She rested, she grieved, she ate. And then when the time was right, the Lord removed that stumbling block that was a good thing. And now she's able to move forward and have a renewed purpose and a future again. Are there some of you that maybe needed to hear that today? That your problem is not actually rest, your problem is not food, you can tell that's not my problem, all right? But your problem is going, you know what? I keep looking at the past and I just wish things could have been different. I got one last word here for you, ready? You will never have the ability to alter the past no matter how much you think about it. Let me say that again. You will never have the ability to alter the past no matter how much you think about it. I guarantee you, Elijah is sitting there and thinking, what could I have done differently? Is there a sermon I could have preached differently? Is there something I could have done that could have turned the hearts back to the Lord? Is there something, Lord, could we have done a different miracle? Is there something that could have made this situation better? And the Lord says to him, Elijah, get some rest, eat something Get some rest again and then eat something because you have another journey ahead of you. There's something I'm working on that's so special. Paul writes it this way and we'll close. Philippians chapter three, verses 13 and 14. If you are one who is looking for renewed purpose, here's what he says. He says, brothers, I have not considered myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul closes the thought by saying, what do I do? I have not gripped perfection yet in my relationship with Almighty God. It'll be a lifelong pursuit. But he says, there's one thing I have figured out. Because Paul had a past. Remember, he had been one who had dragged Christians from their homes. He had been one who had assisted in their murder. He'd assisted in his own genocide and been forgiven of it by Almighty God. Paul says, you know what I've learned through this life? I have a past that still tries to creep up and haunt me through the power of Satan. But you know what I've learned? I can at least forget what is behind and strain on to Towards what is ahead. I can move towards what God has called me to in Christ Jesus, not just now, but going into heaven as well. I'm going to strive on as one who is seeking to win the prize. I'm going to do my very best at what's in front of me. I want to be that warrior again. It begs the final question, is it time you stop dwelling in the past? Is it time you stop dwelling in the past? 
Do you have a picture that it's time you took it down? I love you guys. I told you, it doesn't get much more practical than this message. Get some rest, eat something, and then start moving again. The Lord has got purpose for you. As long as there's breath in your lungs, as long as there's life in your bones, he's got something he wants you to do. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. I'll keep this very short with nobody looking around but just me. Is there anyone here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to get some rest. I need to make that commitment right here, right now. And I'm not just talking about I need to do better. I'm talking about you saying specifically, I need to hit the reset button. I need to rest so that I can think clearly again. That's what Paul says in Romans 12, that you would be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's two phases that you would be able to identify what God's will is, and second, that you would have the strength and the courage to do it. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would commit to get some rest. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Some hard workers there. I'm even raising my hand on that one too. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you. Just say, God, I commit. I commit to lay down by the still waters. God, I commit to lay down by the still waters. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, I've been trying to drive on an empty tank. I need to eat something. I've been one of those who's kind of punished myself because I felt like I deserved it or I needed to dwell in the severity of my situation. When the truth is, Christ died for that. The truth is, I need some fuel in the tank so that I can be who God made me to be again. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray I'd take some time and I would eat something. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. See ya. See ya. Thank you. Thank you. If that was you, it's a balance issue. Pray this simple prayer. God, let me find balance in my life so that I can think clearly. God, help me find balance in my life so I can think clearly. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm doing the rest thing. I'm doing the food thing. But it's time I got moving again. It's time I got out from underneath that broom tree. And it's time I got moving. 40 days and 40 nights, the journey that Elijah had had to this point was nothing compared to where he would go. But the Lord had the, Lord had the kindness to restore him, the compassion to restore him because he knew what was ahead. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray I'd get moving again. 
pray I would get up and that I would live that life of balance toward the mountain of God. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Some of my favorite people. Y'all are workers just like me. I get it. I understand it. We can't get to the point where we don't live with spiritual balance because then the Lord ends up allowing our effectiveness to be cut short. And he deserves so much better than that. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance to study your word. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the story of Elijah. Lord, we thank you also that he wasn't some untouchable demigod, that even though he experienced these great miracles, even though he was the conduit that you used for your greatness, Lord, even he felt low from time to time. Even he experienced hopelessness. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that for those who are here today that need to rest, that you would give them the courage to rest. For those who need to eat something, that you would give them the courage to eat something. And Lord, for those who need to get up and start moving again, that you would fill them with a double portion of courage that they would get up and start moving again. We love you, Lord. Heal hearts in a very practical way today. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.